Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I want to welcome you today to our last installment in our series entitled David, a man after God's own heart. We spent the month of July and the first couple of Sundays here in August figuring out why the Bible described David that way. And there are a number of reasons. And we looked at different episodes in David's life where he was a courageous leader and he was somebody who was faithful to forgive and, and confess his sins when he, was, when he sinned. And today we want to look at the dimension of David's life where we find out he's a man after God's own heart because he practiced loyal friendship. Inside your bulletin you'll find an outline entitled David and Jonathan, and it talks about loyal friendship, that was be- the loyal friendship between them. Jonathan was David's best friend, a friend he could count on in the times when he needed a friend the most. And today, uh, if you have ever had a good friend or if you're looking for a good friend, or you'd like to become a better friend, well, then this is a message that will greatly encourage you. Would you have a word of prayer with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, how we handle our money, how we, handle our, how we plan for our future, how we maintain good friendships. And God, there's not a one of us here who wouldn't like to have more friends or better friends or be a better friend. And so, God, I pray that today you will speak and move me out of the way and teach us what you want us to know in the story of David and Jonathan and the loyal friendship they shared. In the wonderful name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks or take some notes, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will be glad to bring one to you. David and Jonathan became loyal friends from the moment they met. Um, David had just killed Goliath. If you missed that episode in our um, series here, you can go back online and First one we started with, David had killed a nine and a half foot tall freak of a man by the name of Goliath. He represented the Philistines. The Israelites and the Philistines were fighting over the Holy Land to see who it really belonged to. If you can imagine, it would be like the Jews and the Palestinians fighting over the Holy Land. I mean, who could imagine? Um, only every day on the news. It was exactly the same then. But instead of both sides going to war, uh, one of their champions, Goliath, this freakishly tall guy I just told you about, enormous guy, said, I'll take on the strongest guy from the Israelite side. Let's just one-on-one, mano and mano here. We'll go at this, and if I defeat him, we win. If your man kills me, y'all win. Let's just settle the conflict that way. The only problem was there was nobody on the Israelite side who was willing to stand up for the Jewish people until David showed up. A giant had been taunting the people for over a month, and Finally, on the 40th day of this, David shows up to bring some supplies to his older brothers. He's just a shepherd boy, but he hears this Philistine mocking God and mocking the people of God, and he can't stand it. And so, um, with the permission of the king, King Saul, he runs down into the valley where Goliath is, grabs a stone and a sling, and hurls at God, guides the stone, and it sinks right into the forehead of Goliath. And Goliath falls face first in front of him, and here's what happened next. 1 Samuel 17:50. David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner, who was the general of Saul's army there, brought him to Saul, the king, with the Philistine's head still in his hand. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. There's just something about carrying a giant's head in your hand that really bonds you to people, you know? Wow. And it wouldn't be a surprise to you if you read some of the other chapters in 1 Samuel where you hear of Jonathan. Jonathan was a hero in his own right. He was Saul's son. 
Saul had started out serving the Lord, anointed by God to be the leader of God's people, leader of God's army. And Jonathan wanted to be like his dad, serving the Lord and defending God's people. There was a time when he had climbed to the top of a cliff with his armor bearer, 20 Philistines were at the top of the cliff, and they said, climb up here. We'll, look, the Israelites are coming out of their holes. Come on up here. We'll teach you all a lesson. And Jonathan and his armor bearer finished off 20 of them. So Jonathan was no coward. Jonathan was courageous, and he wanted to fight the Lord's battles with the Lord's strength. And it must have demoralized him to see his dad and the other Israelites sit back and do nothing for 40 days until David showed up. And when he saw David run down in the valley, run right at the giant, and God give him the victory, he said, now that's somebody I want to be a friend with the rest of my life. And they became friends. Loyal friends. Their hearts became one. I don't know if you've ever had a loyal friend. I've had a couple of loyal friends in my life that meant the world to me when I was a kid in elementary school I had a friend that um, we got to know each other because well I was going through a kind of a difficult time in my life maybe I should say spent some time in the principal's office and he was there too and so we became good friends okay hey we're hanging out here a lot together and so we got to know each other and this guy turned out to be a wonderful friend I remember that when I was about 10 years old I had a, an emergency appendectomy I got very sick I had to be rushed to the hospital I had to do surgery right away barely got the thing out without uh, getting me too sick. And, um, but I had to spend a week in the hospital. And um, this friend of mine felt sorry, the same guy. He felt very sorry for me being in the hospital, missing all that school and other things. And so this was a couple of, it was a, a rural hospital. It was two stories tall and other things. And he literally climbed up a drain spout, kind of slid along a ledge, opened the window, and climbed into my hospital room with a backpack full of games and stuff for us to play during the school day. I mean, he felt so sorry for me, and he really didn't want to go to school anyway. But, uh, but the idea was, and then when a nurse or doctor would come, he had rigged up a, like, a little alarm system on the doors, and he could slide under the bed or hide in the closet. And, uh, man, when he got home that day and found out his parents found him in school, oh, he got, his dad wore him out. It was terrible. But, uh, but that's the kind of friend he was. Another friend of mine was here a couple of weeks ago at Centerpoint in Prattville. He um, had driven up from Houston. He and I had... Uh, met together once a week starting in 1986 for about four years. We, my wife and I lived in Houston from 86 to 90 and we'd meet together once a week for accountability and prayer. And he prayed for my wife and our kids uh, every day. And he never stopped that. He told me when he was here a couple weeks ago he had never stopped praying for us by name every day since 1986. And that's a loyal friend. Do you have a loyal friend like that? It's a gift from God if you do. David and Jonathan were friends like that. Loyal. Bound together, brought together by God. And it was a wonderful gift. That brings us to point two. David and Jonathan pledged loyalty and love to each other no matter what the cost. They pledged loyalty and love to each other no matter what the cost. Years passed and uh, Saul had been thrilled at first that David had killed the giant. He hadn't been willing to do it. But then troubling things started happening. When they returned home after the victory, the women in the towns all started singing, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden it became very clear to Saul that David was getting more press and more recognition than he was. And Saul became insanely jealous of him. Despite Jonathan's best efforts to reassure his dad, 
that David was no threat to him beside, in spite of David's best efforts to assure Saul, I'm not trying to do anything here. I'm just doing what God called me to do. Saul became more and more jealous to the point where he sought to kill David. And so now we jump forward to 1 Samuel chapter 20, and Saul has um, let it be known to his men that he wants David dead, but he hasn't told Jonathan, and David is coming to Jonathan, and here's their conversation. We're listening in. David speaking here. How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. And speaking of Saul here, he says, he always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. And then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you, I'm only one step away from death. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. David replied, well, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, then tell him I ask permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, you'll know all is well, but if he's angry and loses his temper, you'll know he's determined to kill me. Show me this loyalty, and if you'd circle the word loyalty, please. Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I've sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. I promised by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so that you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. Can you imagine saying that sentence? Hmm. I mean, Jonathan had sat there for 40 days and watched his dad do nothing. He saw David show up and run right at the giant. That's the way he used to be with dad. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the same faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. And if you'd circle the words faithful love of the Lord. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, and you could circle faithful love there again, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. And David and Jonathan have reached a very dangerous point in their relationship, a real test of their loyalty. It's become clear to David that Saul is out to kill him. The only person in the world that he can trust is Saul's own son, Jonathan. And so Jonathan promises David, I won't betray you. David says, Jonathan, you've got to promise me you won't betray me. You've got to find out if I, I promise you your dad's trying to kill me. And they come up with a, a way of figuring out Saul's true motives here. And Jonathan says, David, I promise I won't kill you. But you've got to make me a promise too. One day I know God's going to make you king. And when he makes you king, don't kill me. And don't kill my kids. You see, if you became king after someone else, the smartest thing you could do is to execute all potential rivals. And that's what other kings did at the time. I mean, you became king, you found the relatives, the brothers, the kids, everybody who was related to the previous king, and you wiped them out. And that way they couldn't plan a little coup in the background and say, you know, I should be the rightful king. 
And so this is a negotiation between Jonathan and David. David saying, please don't turn me over to your father. And Jonathan said, I won't. But please don't kill my kids one day when you become king. And so they renewed their vows of faithfulness and loyalty. There's a life application before we get any further here. You and I must value loyal friends and thank God for them. I mean, thank God for Jonathan, somebody David could talk to. And thank God for David who would look after Jonathan, Jonathan's kids after Jonathan died. Another king would have never made that promise. Do you have a valuable friend? A loyal friend? If you do, have you told him? Here's what loyal friends look like. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. A friend is somebody you can talk to when you're like David and you don't know where to turn. And you can count on them keeping a confidence. You can count on them helping you, even if it's not in their own best interest. I mean, you realize Jonathan was the crown prince. He kills David. Dad rewards him. He gets the crown. He becomes king. But Jonathan loves David so much, he goes, I will never kill you. And I won't let let my father kill you either. I'll warn you. And David returns and does the same kindness to him because the most ridiculous thing you could ever do is leave the son or the grandson of a previous king alive and just wait for him to organize a coup. But both of them made that vow. Proverbs 18.24, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sits closer than a brother. That's the kind of friends we're talking about there. We are not talking about Facebook friends, right? Not Facebook friends here, okay? That doesn't really mean a lot. Facebook friends probably won't come see you in the hospital. They probably won't. Or help you out in time of need. They might. But a real friend is somebody who would be there every time. It's also important to note that loyal friends choose to put others' needs ahead of their own. David had to choose to do the right thing. Jonathan had to choose to do the right thing. And that's why David is a man after God's own heart. God wants us to be people like this. This is what he desires for all of us, to be people who think of others more importantly than ourselves. God designed us for relationships. Life in this world is hard. God knows that. He doesn't want us to go through it alone. He gave David Jonathan, and he gave Jonathan David. But that's a choice. Love is always a choice. Friendship is always a choice. And we talk about love in our culture as if it's a mud puddle. We're walking along one day and I fell in love. Oh, look at that. I got love all over me. And then one day it dries up. Oh, I'm out of love. Fell out of love. Got to move on. Fell in love. Fell out of love. No control over it. That's not love. That's a high school crush. Okay? Love is a choice. Loyalty is a choice. You have no control over it. It wasn't love. You have to choose to love. And David and Jonathan did with a deep and abiding loyalty and friendship. Philippians 2, Paul, uh, in Philippians 2, Paul speaks about this kind of love. This is what God desires for each one of us. Listen to this. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And that describes Jonathan and David. They weren't looking out for themselves at all. 
Jonathan was looking out for David, and David was looking out for Jonathan and even his kids. And somewhere at the bottom there, or even as you're turning the page, if you'd write, down, write this down also, if I want loyal friends, I have to be a loyal friend. If I want loyal friends, I need to be a loyal friend. I mean, think about that for a second. Because we live in a culture, again, where we are so self-centered, so selfish, so self-absorbed, that we don't take time to think about what others need. We're just demanding of others. I want other people to come take care of me, but I'm not going to give any time to take, spend any time taking care of others. I want other people to shower me with blessings, but I'm not generous myself. Well, it doesn't work that way. David and Jonathan were friends because they looked out for each other. I mean, it's kind of like Christmas cards. You want them? Well, mail a few. It's amazing. If you give Christmas, if you send Christmas cards, you'll get some back. How come nobody's sending me any Christmas cards? Well, you don't send any. How come I don't have any loyal friends? Because you are selfish and stubborn and rude. Oh, yeah, that would do it. Okay. And that's the way many of us are. We're selfish, stubborn, and rude and wonder how come, how come we don't have any friends like this? Because we're not loyal friends. The good news is, this is why we're together in a church. We can work on this here. And God wants us to work on this. To help each other. Well, if you flip your outline over, the story continues. Sadly, Saul thought only of himself and wanted to kill David in order to protect his legacy. Jonathan was willing to do whatever to protect his friendship with David. Saul could have been a great friend to David. Saul had no idea what to do when the giant was taunting his men. It had been a month and a half. He was probably perilously close to his army dissolving. I mean, he was about to lose control of the situation. I'm sure people were giving up going, well, our king doesn't know what he's doing. And all of a sudden, David came and rescued him and provided an amazing answer. But in spite of the fact that David had risked his life, Saul just became jealous. In fact, David went on and led many military campaigns and rescued Saul many times over. He even spared Saul's life twice when he could have taken his life, when Saul was hunting him. But Saul never figured it out. He became more and more selfish, and all he cared about was maintaining his title and his legacy, even if it meant killing David. So the story continues in 1 Samuel 20. So David hid himself out in the field. And when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat, but David's place was empty. Now Saul didn't say anything about it that day, but when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan replied, well, David asked earnestly, he earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. That was David's hometown. And that's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a perverse, rebellious woman, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? And then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. And you go, well, John, if Saul was trying to protect his legacy and make sure that Jonathan got on the throne, why would he throw a spear at him? 
I didn't say this was rational. Saul's jealousy drove him insane. His pride consumed him. It's important to note that Saul had known all about what was happening. God had sent the prophet Samuel to tell him. Saul knew he was rebelling against God's will, but he was too prideful to repent. Saul knew it, but pride kept him from repenting. In fact, years earlier in 1 Samuel 13, we find Samuel telling Saul exactly that this is going to happen. Samuel had predicted it. God was the one who had chosen Saul. God had given Saul specific instructions to carry out, and Saul would not do it. He carried out the parts of the instructions he liked, but he also went beyond it to make himself look good. Here's what Samuel had told him in 1 Samuel 13. You have not kept the command of the Lord. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So Saul knew it was going to happen. Jonathan knew it was going to happen. Anybody who had seen David run out and challenge the giant when Saul was hiding in his tent knew it was going to happen. But Saul wasn't going to let it happen. He was too prideful and stubborn for that. It's important to remind ourselves how dangerous pride is because pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. James 4, 6 adds a little more. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if you'd circle the word opposes. You want to be on the opposite side of the net in the game of life? Just get prideful and now you've got God fighting against you. Let me tell you something. If you are fighting God, you will lose. He's really big and really, really smart and really strong. And Saul thought that in his jealousy and other things, if, if he had shown disfavor to God, then God had no right to take away his legacy and he would destroy David if he had to. And even his own son saw the fallacy of this and said, David, I'll protect you. And that's what he did. He left Saul's presence, went and warned David, and David fled. And Jonathan never stopped watching out for David, though, as long as he lived. In fact, that brings us to point four. David and Jonathan demonstrated their trust in God and loyalty to each other through their actions. You say, well, how is this demonstrating trust in God? Well, this is a big act of faith in God on both their parts. I mean, if Jonathan allowed David to become king, I mean, he was basically abdicating the throne and stretching his neck out saying, David, cut my head off anytime you become king. Because that's what other people would have done. David making this promise for his kids, is just like, David, you can't do that. I mean, all it takes is a few disgruntled officers in your kingdom and they'll go find that heir to Saul's throne and they could start something you can't control. I'm going to trust that God's going to work that out. I'm just going to honor my commitments to my friend. 1 Samuel 23, we, find, we hear about Jonathan's part to it. His father Saul has organized thousands of troops, and they're out hunting David, and Jonathan gets to David first. And so Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the next king of Israel, and I'll be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. 
I love you. You're my friend. And you're going to be the next king. And when you're coronated, I'm going to be standing there applauding. Wow. Sadly, Jonathan never was able to see that day. In one of the military campaigns against the Philistines, the Philistines won a battle and Saul and Jonathan were both killed in the heat of battle. Years later, after David had consolidated the kingdom under his power, he wanted to make good on his half the arrangement. We find that written about in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David finally has his government stabilized and everything is ordered and he asks this question. David asks, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he was told, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive and his name was Mephibosheth. And I had to include that just because it's fun to say. Okay, Mephibosheth. His name was Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. Don't be afraid, David said. I, ex- I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you eat here with me at the king's table. And so both of them made good on their promise. Both of them were loyal, even though it could have cost them anything. And that's why I remember, we remember David as a man after God's own heart. A man willing to trust God enough with his future that he risked his life. And Jonathan proved to be the same. A life application for you and me in this is God wants us to demonstrate that kind of loyal love for each other through our actions, too. I mean, we're part of a church here. It's one thing to come to worship on Sunday morning and grow in our relationship with God, but God wants us to build real relationships with each other where we can practice. We can practice this kind of faith. He wants us to build loyal friendships, real friendships that will last us the rest of our lives. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. And y'all, if we would practice these kind of relationships with each other, this is life-changing. But all too often, all we do is we take church kind of a la carte, where it's like, I'm going to live my own life, live my own way, and once in a while I'll go to a worship service. And then we have a hard time, we go, oh my God, oh my God, and we cry out to him, and there's nobody there to help us. We really don't know God, and we really don't know his people, when there's no one to turn to. Because we live our lives and say, hey, I want you to help me, but don't get too close. I want people to pray for me, but I'm not going to go pray with other people. I want people to invest in me and look out for me when I'm sick and I'm needy, but I'm not going to do anything for them. And then we wonder why life is so hard when it doesn't have to be. God wants us to love each other, and in order to help us do that, at center point inside your bulletin, you'll find a little program, a little flyer for connect groups. Take that out, you find some information. We're forming connect groups now for the fall. The whole idea behind it is these are groups that meet six to 16 people. They meet in Prattville, Montgomery, Wetumpka, 
Millbrook, anywhere. We have groups at Cloverdale where we can find, we can get people together. They can pray together, encourage each other. We can discuss the lessons that God has taught us as a church. And we can build long-lasting, loyal friendships. Because God wants us to. In fact, what you find is this. In John 13, 35, Jesus told his disciples, by this all men will, you, will know you're my disciples if you love one another. I mean, even as we're talking about relationships with Jonathan and David, do you have any relationships like that? If you don't, well, let's, let's build some. And connect groups are the structure here that we have to help you do that. I want you to hear how meaningful this idea, how, much, how meaningful a connect group has been in the life of a couple here at Centerpoint, Chris and Melissa Amos. We are Chris and Melissa Amos, and I'm happy to say that we've been a part of Centerpoint since about the second week uh, that it was a church. Uh, and when the connect group concept began and was put out there, we jumped on it. And we saw it as a, a huge opportunity to meet new people. Uh, and uh, through either being a part of one or leading a connect group, uh, it's been a huge blessing to our family. We really started noticing um, the strong relationships that were formed in our group. And I didn't realize just how strong those relationships were going to be and how much they were going to mean to me and our family until we went through one of the hardest things we've ever faced as a family. Being in the military, deploying away from your family uh, is, a, is a very real possibility. In the summer of 2013, we found out uh, that I would be, in fact, deploying to the country of Afghanistan. I love serving my country. Uh, that job brings so much satisfaction to me. But the reality of leaving my family was something that was very new to me. Leaving my wife, leaving my son, Brooks, and my little princess, Mary Camden, was something that I had never experienced before. When I found out that Chris was going to be deployed to Afghanistan, I'll be honest, my first reaction was anger. Um, it was, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Um, but then I feel like God really transformed my attitude. And uh, it became that of a proud wife who was going to do whatever it took to support her husband. And with that, I needed support um, around me. I needed a really strong support system. Our families don't live in Prattville. Uh, they live in Alabama, but not in Prattville. The men of the group came up to me and, and said, Hey, Chris, don't want you to worry about anything happening back here with the family. We're going to take care of them. We're going to make sure everything goes fine. Our connect group became my family. They took care of everything I needed whether it was keeping me accountable, calling and checking on me, our, our connect group girls' nights, uh, going out to eat. Um, if something broke at the house, one of the, all I had to do was call one of the guys and they would be over there to fix it. Um, I had actually got sick while Chris was gone and one of the girls in our connect group came and took care of me. And I cannot tell you how priceless that is. When people ask me why they should join a connect group, I tell them it is, it is the most surefire way to get connected to a group of friends that, that can hold you accountable, to people that can have your back uh, when the, time ar the, the need arises. Uh, it is absolutely the best way to find out how you can be the best person you can be when it comes to living the way God wants you to live. Okay, do you, yeah, you can applaud that. 
I mean, that's why we designed connect groups. And you're going to hear us over the next few weeks. We're, we're signing people up during the month of August. We would love for you to get involved. There's a big display out in the lobby area. There are brochures out there. They'll tell you about all the groups we have, pictures of the people who lead them, times when they meet. You can pick this up. You can go to our website and sign up. We just want you in a connect group. If you don't have friends like that, if you don't have relationships like that, well, let's form some. Give it a chance. I mean, this is what God wants for us here. Why would we go through the Christian life alone when we don't have to? And so when we're asking you to be in a small group, that's why. We want you to experience that. David and Jonathan had that kind of relationship. Jonathan, I'll look out for your son Mephibosheth, even if you name him a strange name. I'll look out for that guy. David, I will never betray you to my father. I'm loyal to my father. He's the king. But David, I'm loyal to you too. And I'm not going to allow it to happen. I know you're God's man. And one day when you're king, I'm going to stand beside you at your coronation. I'll put the crown on your head myself. Man, I want to be a friend like that. I want friends like that. And so do you. We all do. Can we pray about that? Father, I just, I just thank you for the life lessons of just allowing us to sit in on the conversation between Jonathan and David. I mean, how amazing is that? God, I thank you for two men who loved each other and maintained their loyalty at all costs. And God, I want to be a loyal friend like that. I want loyal friends like that myself. I want that for my kids. I want that for my wife. I want that for everybody here in this church. And so, God, I pray that you will bless our connect groups. I pray that people will get involved and find a place to plug in. And I pray that it will just be crazy good. Opportunities for people to get to know each other and love each other. Oh, God, I want that. I pray that you'll help me be the best friend I can be to my friends. I want to be loyal. I want to be somebody who thinks of others more importantly than myself. And Lord, I want friends who will treat me the same. In a moment of silence, if you have a special friend that you were reminded of while I was talking, would you thank God for him or her right now? Thank God for him by name. For Jim or Susie or whoever. I thank you for that, friend, Lord. They mean the world to me. Well, God, we thank you again for your word. It guides us in so many unexpected ways, and it's just these are real-life stories of how you helped people in real-life situations. And, God, we want you to help us in our real struggles, too. Guide us. Help us be good friends and help us be good friends to others. Help us as a church to help people build those relationships through connect groups. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.